0: Cassandra Gordon is a bespoke fine jewellery designer and owner of KLG Jewellery. This episode, she tells us how she built a successful business using creative strategies and by knowing when to pivot. Cassandra also speaks on the struggles of entrepreneurship, the state of the jewellery scene in London, and navigating the industry as a black woman.
1: I was made redundant of a job, right? And I said to myself... And I was so upset about this, this this redundancy. I was in my early 20s, this redundancy just came out of nowhere. The way how they did it, it was very underhand. And then I was like, I just want to do something fun. So I went to Kensington College for an evening silversmithing course, how to make silver rings. And then I was made a silver ring and I was like, this is amazing. How come? I haven't done this before. I love it. And it was like a six weeks course how to make a silver ring and I was just like wow so since then I've been hooked doing like self-taught and gone different mini courses it's just all started of the making of there but then I had to think to myself actually my love of jewelry actually went back ages ago when I was about nine years old when my mom bought me a gold locket so I'm from Jamaican heritage or immigrant heritage whatever you want to call it where they're not like my white counterparts, like, hey, I love you. You're the best. Da, 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 all that kind of stuff. So the way how I saw love, my mom gave me a piece of jewellery. And actually, the last piece of jewellery my mom gave me was when I graduated from Warwick University. Because I thought, I think there's a bit of a hidden agenda. Of course, she loves me to a certain extent. But I felt she loved the idea of me becoming a doctor. or thought I was going to do my PhD. So she was, oh, if I just give her this, she'll become a doctor. But I could tell my friends she is like a doctor and and live her life but that never happened so I don't think she's never forgiven me since since I didn't do my
0: PhD YOLO so so after you did the six weeks course what was it like after that Were you like right I'm gonna just start mass producing whatever I can and selling it or like what was the kind of yeah so I didn't start off thank you for asking me that I, I never started off
1: in fine jewelry I started off doing um mixed media jewelry so I did resin I did plastic so if anyone knows like oh I'm what do you call it? I used to like laser cut things out of wood, laser cut things um out of perspex or acrylic. So if there's a brand in England, people know it's called Tac Divine. So every time I used to go to shops and try to sell my stuff, like, oh your stuff is like Tac Divine. I'm like, no, we just use the same materials. We're not we're not the same. So that's how I started then I used to go to markets. People say, why don't you sell in markets? So I did Camden Markets, Spitful Market, I did all the market running in, in London. And markets are hard markets are hard. I can't explain how markets are hard. And I give so much respect for people who day in and day out spend hours and hours standing up trying to sell their stuff to tourists and people. And then I thought, "Mm, hmm, I wanna get into fine jewelry. Let me do a course in fine jewelry manufacturing in Hatton Garden. I did the course there. And then my fine jewelry practice started
0: from there. Okay. So when you were doing the markets, what what were you finding hard about it? Because for me, as someone who goes to markets, I think the problem is for me, I'm never looking to buy this stuff. And I'm not Thank very you. easy to convince to Thank buy. you.
1: You are the problem. You're the problem, Sam. You're the problem. I'm messing with you. I'm messing. <laughs> um, because I didn't think about this. Because I have this ideal. I, You know, when I came to London, I lived near Brick Lane. So I loved the market vibe. And I was just like going to markets. Oh, there's a little trinket. Chat to a friend. De- decompress. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great as a punter, as a normal customer, it's nice. And you just mainly go to markets to eat food. Mm. And then if you see anything else, it's little trinkets, right? And I thought, oh, my things are shiny, my things are trinket. everyone loves my jewelry. No, that was not the case. It wasn't product market fit. It was not for, not for me. Okay, so it's hard that when I went to the market, you spent all day there, you got to pay for your store, which is quite expensive, and you have to eat, you have to transport there. You're doing like 12, 14, 15 hour days. And you probably, you got to eat as well. And you're not really making much. And because remember, I made things back and I made things with my hands. So I couldn't compete when you see some of the sellers who are from other heritages who import their stuff from China or India and selling things for like 10 pounds. Like I couldn't, like my stuff wasn't that, even that expensive. My stuff was like, from 15 to 30 pounds. And when you're eating your crepe or your nice um, Indian food or your nice Vietnamese food, which you paid seven pounds for a a box in the street, um, street food markets, you're not looking to spend an extra 20 quid on handmade jewelry. It's just, and if they do, it's super impulsive and you're just waiting for that impulse, you know, or that special occasion. And then because they don't know you and it's not cheap, they're like, oh, I'm not sure. Oh, it's not made out of real gold. No, how can I make you something out of real gold for £30? <laughs> how can I do that? I have to rob somebody. I don't know how to bake something out of pure gold. So it was really annoying. So I, I learned I learned the hard way. I, le- I made some good friends, but I learned the hard way that markets were not for me. And I had, to, I, had, had to I had to pivot, I had to pivot fast.
0: Yeah. And so when you decided to make that pivot, what what was it that you decided to change about yourself to find that product market fit that you were looking for?
1: the material so for me I had to be working in silk in, in precious metals because I think when I was sick of all the time being on the markets and people say is it real gold hmm huh, I like it but I'm not sure it's a bit too much it just my, my my designs were bored so I thought okay so I guess in England people respect gold <laughs> people respect gold so I thought okay I'm going to learn how to to learn how to make things in gold, because no matter what happens, sometimes in the British mind, it's like you can always sell gold, you can always melt it, you can always pass it on. You know, in, in in British culture, especially Victorian culture, also things like passing on and stuff like that. But when you go to other cultures like Scandinavia, um, those Scandinavia's free countries, even if you make something in silver, they still value something handmade, no matter what material it is. So I just had to, if, if I live in England, I am British, got to listen to the market a little bit, but still be myself at the same time. So that what made it.
0: Yeah. And so you did you go straight from kind of the in person selling of markets to only online? Or like how did you kind of get your brand off the ground? Because that's that's what a lot of people kind of listen to this show for, is that they're either at zero and they want to get to one, or they're they're at one and they want to see how to get to a hundred type thing. You know what I mean?
1: So how I started, I started doing um, I started doing um, I tried to do wholesale. I tried to do wholesale. People buy from wholesale. And it was hard when you first started. When you first start. So what you have to do is to consignment or sale or return, SOR. Mm. So I did a lot of SOR, which is a lot of um, investment and time from me. So I have to put all the money in the materials and give it to a shop to say, that I've got, uh, you know, someone selling my stuff. And then they take 50 or 60%.
0: Right.
1: And I'm just like, but I thought, you know what? I got to pay my dues. I do that. And then I used to do trade shows and wedding shows. And I didn't find the trade shows very um, good for me, for what I want to do as a designer. Trade shows are good for people when you have, you know, if you're mass produced, but as a designer, it's very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're super famous. So that's how I started. And then I was like, it's a lot of effort doing these trade shows, paying thousands of pounds and no one's buying. Or the buyers just want really cheap. Not cheap, just lower cost um, goods from abroad, but I have make everything, right? And then I said, like, "You know what? I'm just gonna go online, and it just worked out better." And I still do, you know. I've been part of like not not on the high street, Wolf and Badger, been in like department stores and stuff like that, but um, it just works out for better margin um, for now <laughs> for me to do things online. So that's what's works working for me right now. And what else I've done as well. Because I don't have no rich husband yet, and I don't have like those family connections. Because I think I, it's really important to stress how people in in UK get into the jewelry business. If you don't have rich parents, if you don't have your, you don't have a rich husband, and 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 I, and I say this not to complain. I'm just telling you what. And if you don't, if you weren't brought up as 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 an apprentice in the jewelry industry, it's very closed in a certain way. Not entirely on purpose, but sometimes is because everything's built on trust. Mm. You can go around to the jewellery quarter and you can carry thousands of pounds of diamonds, you know, through from a diamond dealer. You don't have to change money at hand because they trust you to just see these diamonds and make you show your customers. That's the level of trust because you've got to keep things protected for security. The reason what I say about social capital is so important in, in the jewellery industry is because sometimes <laughs> if people don't know you, they don't, they don't necessarily trust you. They don't they don't recommend you to certain suppliers. They don't recommend you to certain um, stockists. I always took it upon myself. I'm not going to wait for people to fight, you know, fight for me or vouch for me. I have to be there and turn up. I have to be there to trade. Like, hey, can I get a trade reference? Hey, can you listen to? I always have to be in their faces. And then until like X amount of years, that's when people started to um, t- to trust me. So it's not been. A smooth sailing thing because usually people do well in the jewelry industry it's like they'll, it's, it's usually a family business or they know someone or, or they're connected to a factory being an independent jeweler like if if you don't love it there's no point doing it it's a hard hard slug sorry to be very pessim- uh, pessimistic but it's I'm just trying to be real with people that like, oh people are like oh you're a jewelry designer it's amazing I'm like okay there's jewelry designers and there's and people who just might have a team of designers and they pick one like that one and like that one. Or there might be a celebrity jewelry designer and they have a whole team and they just they just license their, their name. Mm-hmm. And there's there's people who actually make things or the people actually start from the ground zero and I am one of them, one of the rare breeds. Yeah. And that's why I, I I keep on saying it like if you gotta do it, it's it's, it's very expensive. <laughs> so my model is like I sell and I save and I invest. I sell. I say I invest, Build up and build up and build up with no investment and stuff like that. So um, yeah, that's what I'm very passionate about, about, like the trade and doing what I need to do and just just get on it, just 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 work through it and find a way. Everything is all um, figure outable, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So when you're when you're going into all these, you know, I don't know if it's called the diamond district or whatever it is over here, because I know there's there's different things for different jewelry spaces in, around the world, but whatever the the equivalent of that is that you were going to. You're walking in there and you go like, hi, I'm Cassandra. Can I have some gold, please? Like, how are you building these relationships? What, what does that look like? Or are you coming and asking for something straight away? Are you coming in and kind of checking everything out and then asking because you're doing X, Y, Z? Like, what, what, what does building those re- relationships look like?
1: Okay, I I'm trying to be succinct, but I have to give you a long, long. long
0: we want story. the longest answers possible here, like literally. Okay. that's the best way forward. Let me
1: tell you something as well. I didn't go to university or to go to do a jewelry course. So mm. sometimes the advantage of going to university, the jewelry course, you have a network and you have your alumni, and you have your tutors. I did short courses, so the mine, in my opinion, some of the short courses I went to, they just wanted to just get your money and just get you out. And also because when I did jewelry. I wasn't um, under 25. So in England, if you're sometimes 16 to 25 and you do a course, you usually get funded a lot of money from the government because they want to stop unemployment. So I was was seen as a, a mature student. So they didn't really see mature students really money. And also the people when I was studying who were mature students, a lot of them saw it as a hobby. It's like, oh, I've kind of retired now. Or it's something to do on the weekend. Didn't take it seriously. Now, I don't have that luxury. <laughs> I, you know, work for myself. I pay my own rent, all that type of stuff. So the reason why I, I, I'm saying all this is like when i do doing these short courses, you don't have that social capital to like, hey, here's a diamond dealer. Hey, Cassandra's, oh, okay. Here's a stone setter. Um, don't mess up her stuff. So when breaking into doors, it was hard. I used to cry. I'm not going to lie. So what happens when you're not as established or they think that you're a student or someone's not really serious? Sometimes they don't do your work. So sometimes in a jewellery trade, like if you want a certain stone set or you want something polished or gold plated, I would like, they'll just mess up your work. And I'm just like, excuse me. I know I don't do a big order. I'm not the biggest order. But you'd think they treat me the same or they think there's going to be an ecosystem. Like if you treat this person well while they're just started, and they're going to build a relationship. You. You're going to get money, lots of money, in the long run. We didn't think about mm. that. They feel, oh well, this is another person, whatever. So it's just me, just being that annoying and persistent, and be like, hey, I know you messed up my stuff. Please don't do it again. And I'll look at every bit of my my, my ring. Please do it. Or I will just find another supplier. I'm like, if you don't want if you don't want my money, I'll go find another supplier to help me out. The other reason why I'm taking this long, another long story. When I first started, when I finished my course, I thought I was going to get a job in jewelry. I gave out about two hundred plus CDs in the jewelry quarter and beyond, jewelry jobs. Did I get a job? Of course not. <laughs> now, I've got to say this. I'm sorry, I have to get deep if you I have to get deep, right? My name is Cassandra Lauren Gordon. So, on paper, or maybe when people hear me on the phone, they might think I'm a white woman. Right. Mm. So when I used to turn up, oh, there's there's a job. Like, oh no, there's there's no job. I mean, what like what do you mean?
0: Yeah. What
1: do you mean? Right. So you know what I'm saying. So that's what I had to just figure out by by myself. But the thing is of me being annoyingly persistent mm. because you know what I spent money on these courses. <laughs> I don't have those riches. I have to grind, and I think all my life I've always had to fight for things, just by being. A black woman like I just had to always it's not like I want to <laughs> I want a stress-free life like everyone else but I've always have to fight for things and just to put a mark in the jewelry industry and that's why I have to give you this long preamble I'm sure if you talk to another jeweler it wouldn't be as a preamble but everything has to be a fight for and there's one guy who opened doors this is why it's important for people to open doors out of my hundreds of emails this guy said Cassandra has a coffee he didn't offer me a, co- a job he offered me a coffee and what the best thing he did he opened doors he took me to some people here's cassandra i know her i vouch for her this give her some gemstones when she needs it this is cassandra if you're anything here i vouch for her and he just took one white guy one white guy of all these emails trying i'm trying to break an industry just to open a door opportunities i don't want handouts but if just give me the level playing field like all the other jewelers who are in the industry and I thank him for that because if it wasn't for him, I don't know where I've I, I would be. Not matter how much school, how much money I've paid on these courses gave me that he took an hour of his time on his lunch of his lunch break to open doors for me because no one would. And I was and I couldn't even get a trade reference. And the thing is like in the jewelry period, it's like another written vouch, like, yeah, Cassandra pays her her bills on time, please trade with her for gold, or yes, Cassandra, please give her diamonds and stuff like that. And I couldn't get a trade reference till years until that guy broke things for me. So it was very, it wasn't, it wasn't a great experience and lots and lots of tears. Like why are these people treating me so bad? Mm. A, they probably don't know me. And two, there's a bit of undertones to it as well, which wasn't quite nice. But you know, if you love something, you just got to just keep on going, keep on going.
0: So once you got access to, to more stones and better quality product, what did that look like for you and your brand? Like what what were the kind of sales looking like in the beginning, anyways? Was it like you were fine once because once you'd move from markets to online, did you see yourself getting like more sales, more of a client base? And that's where you thought, oh, maybe I could start including precious stones and all this kind of stuff.
1: Kind of. So what happened when I started using more precious, people was asking me for custom jewelry. Right. So in my mind, um, or oh, bespoke jewelry, I call it, in my mind, I thought I'm gonna be a jewelry designer. I'm just going to just do, um, sell in stores, like selfages, and live my life. That's what I thought. It's Cassandra and Gordon, the brand do that. But what happened by accident was I was, th- the bespoke took over and time of taking over for the last couple of years. So people like main, my main bread and butter was making engagement rings and wedding rings and just bespoke jewelry cufflinks and stuff like that. So I'm just like, that's good <laughs> because there's less risk for me, and I could build up stuff and invest because people give me the money to make their wedding ring or engagement ring. You know, if you don't give them money, you're not going to get your engagement ring. The average engagement ring in England is like two to three thousand pounds. So if it's an 18 carat or something like that, so that was really helpful. And I end up falling in love with it because when I was in jewelry school, they don't really tell you how to deal with with customers and figuring it out how to make sure Two people are happy. So usually people who come to me, is like a man, usually, sometimes odd, odd woman, but usually a man who's going to get engaged for his wife or wife-to-be. And I've got to think about this woman who I've never met. And it can all go wrong. Imagine I'm making something for someone I've never met and I've got very limited information about her. Some men who come to me, some partners come to me, are really good. They know the, the partner's ring size, what type of style she wants, what type of coloured metal she wants. And that happens probably two out of ten. <laughs> but for the eight out of ten, sometimes the guy have no clue because apart from a mortgage, this is one of the biggest investments they ever spent. So I want to get it right. A, because it's custom, you're not going to get your money back. And two, it's the proposal on what she thinks that ring means to her and what it means to her friends and family. It's not even thinking about the ring, how it manifests of love and their relationship. It's thinking about what is the social um, ram- like ramification. We don't want her mom to say anything about the ring. We don't want to say her best friend say anything about the ring. Mm. And in this Instagram life, these proposals are important. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I, I I always say to women like, oh my God, got, we got the ring right, thank God, Cassandra, you do amazing. And even and therefore he he, he thought about it so much. But I always ask me, why won't you just to save the you know the the feeling sad? Not um, not to lessen the risk. Why wouldn't you get your engagement ring together because some couples do that. They, they get the design, they engage. Like, no, I like the surprise. So that's oh okay. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's the, the so it's half half. The ring has to be on point and the proposal is on point. And that's why I say to people, come to me six to three months in advance of when you're thinking to pop the question because sometimes you have the idea like going to pop the question on like on your Turkish holiday. And then you realize a month before the best friend of your of your fiance or a pop the question. And you think, oh, I can't do that or they might pop the question on that holiday mm. and you can't you can't so you always need to think in advance and it's very very strategic you know these type of moments so um yeah so I got got off lost there but I just never knew being a jeweler when I thought I was just going to do ready-to-wear jewelry. like how involved I get into people's relationships and how to make that special moment right and I really enjoyed that. you tell I could really I really enjoy that bit um because you know sometimes I get invited to their weddings and engagement parties I'm like oh I never knew that (laughs) I never knew I was going to be part of that type of type of life and I'm really into like as you could talk into relationships and into people and I and how I talk about my mum and how I see love and stuff like that I think jewellery really helps so um jewellery is a tool um to really open up conversations and really strengthen relationships
0: and so for you when you got into this kind of bespoke market Talk me through the first time you made someone a a piece of jewellery just for them, because I'm sure it was full of so many stressful moments and problems that, you know, that's just something that, you know, I I feel like it's always a little bit easier when you hear about someone else doing it and you haven't done it yet, or you might be thinking about doing it and you're scared of what might go wrong. So it's always good to hear it from somebody who's been there, done that, and is you know, many, many rings down the line now, and it's like, you know, got the battle scars. You know what? The first proper ring... I can't remember the first because I do like
1: maybe because I didn't value myself when I first started because I never saw myself as a best spot jewellery but I used to do odd things but the one thing I can remember the first I made something for a drummer a drummer and she wanted a little emerald ring on her pinky finger Mm. and it was a weird design and I also have to be careful if she's drumming or I have to make sure that it's safe and emeralds if people don't know they're not fragile, but you have like diamond is the hardest of mm-hmm. like the scale of the most scale. So that's, if you've seen diamond is number 10, you have a sapphire, you have rubies, number eight, and then you have an emerald, which is number six or seven on the scale.
0: So it could crack or chip.
1: It can crack. It can crack. I'm not saying it, you know, it's it, it has the potential to be mm. not compared to a diamond. So I'm like, how do I make sure that she can drum with this? It fits on her pinky finger and it's secure. And just working out the, you know, how, and it, it worked out well. So that was one of my, yeah, one of my first memories of making a bespoke ring for somebody. I don't think it's, I don't think it's stressful to me now. Mm. Um, I think I've developed a method of really taking my time. Mm. I've actually refused, you know, taking people on as a client because they don't think about the time. Right. So I, like, I, I, I don't do no social media marketing because I believe in the word of mouth. So I have to be really careful because if this guy's like, "Oh, Cassandra, can you make a ring in two weeks? Um, yeah, just put emerald on it. I don't want a diamond because diamond's too 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 much. Like everyone's got diamond, just put emerald in it." And I'm like, oh, 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 "Hold on, red flags, red flags." What does she want? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so what do you want? <laughs> what does she want? Because the worst thing is it has happened to me, and I take my time. She wears something, and she doesn't like it, and you get buyer's remorse, and is, and then my name is dragged into it, and I really care about what I do, you know what I mean? If she's not happy, we are not all happy.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So that's how I how I you know, that's how I see it. Um it's important
0: with the idea of of the customer being happy. Obviously that would mean that if the customer's happy then you're happy. So throughout your entrepreneurial journey, you know, talking about from the markets to the online, to the, the hustle of trying to break in and get stones and and get, you know, precious metals. How did you kind of maintain your mental health? What, what did you do to kind of keep yourself, you know, sane?
1: Oh God, we're going deep today, Sam. I was not prepared for the mental health question. Oh my God, I don't know how honest you want me to be. You know what? I have to be honest with you, Sam. I have to be honest with you. It's hard. Because I tell you this, you know, we talked earlier about my degrees and stuff. And I know my mom hasn't forgiven me doing a PhD. People have said to me, oh, Cassandra, this jewelry thing, this hobby, hmm, sister, my brothers, my sisters, you know, people not believing in it, you know, until they see the money, like they're not believing in it. And it's like, imagine your own people and your own your own friends would say to you, oh, Cassandra, I'm not sure about jewelry. Maybe just be a social worker, isn't it? Mm. Just earn your 40K and be a social worker. I was like, okay, why social worker, you know? So what I've learned, especially in the last couple of years, is like make sure that my people who are around me are creatives and understand, so my social circle has changed. Because when you tell your ideas to people who sometimes who work in traditional jobs and stuff like that, nothing wrong with traditional jobs, they don't understand how it is to be a creative and it's not always having a, a steady paycheck. And sometimes having, not having a steady paycheck fright, frightens people. If you love something, you just got to take the risk. And, you know, if you're good at it, you just got to take the risk and eventually you, you'll get there. So my mental health, I really have to um check in sometimes. I just, you know, listen to podcasts like you, what what you do. I feel like podcast is my is my thing. It's my on um, like I don't want to be sound obsessive like a fan to people on podcasts. Like in my head, I'm like, you guys are my mentor, you're my homies in my head. <laughs> you understand what I'm going through. Yeah. Because if I talk to certain people, they just don't understand. So I'm very protective about what I put out in the universe and what I tell people. And yeah, that's where I'm at
0: at the moment. I mean, that that is a very important thing to do is to kind of make sure you're surrounding yourself with the right people. And some people get very surprised when you say to them, oh no, my family weren't supporting me or, you know, this, that and the third. And it's you know, it's not like you're doing something bad. It's just in their eyes, you're not doing the the option that's easiest or makes the most sense to them. And I I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs have to kind of either try explain very aggressively to their family and friends what they're doing or just go, you know what? You don't understand. I'm going to go over here and do my thing. And it's like you said, they only understand when when they realise you're able to support yourself off this jewellery thing or, you know, this jewellery hobby as they've been calling it.
1: Yeah, it's hard, man. It's hard when it's when it's your own blood. I tell you. I tell you. And if I'm being honest, I don't know if I want to be honest with you because I've promised myself. When it's not your own. So I say this and, I, you know, as a black woman or, you know, Africa, i be in Jamaican, it's like, I love to make jewelry for anybody. I don't discriminate more than Maria. But sometimes when your own don't always support, I'm like, how how you have friends when they know they're getting married, and I and I'm a jeweler, and you go to the high street, and I can do you literally the same deal, or even better, and you won't come to me, or they look at my jewelry like less than. Because it's not been in certain publications, or I don't have 10 million followers. I'm like, but gold is gold. You see, you see what I've done. I've got a portfolio, a strong portfolio. Why wouldn't you trust me? So, I, but over the last couple of years, I don't know because of the Black Lives Matter movement, I've had, had more people who are from African origin, and I'm very happy for that. And they're supporting Black des- um, jewelry designers. So, I feel love, not like, you know, when people, buy from their own you know and and and, and believe in me and believe in, in the brand so I'm, I'm so happy when that happens I'm happy for everything but I'm so happy when it's from my own as well
0: yeah I must admit there are there are certain types and groups of people that will buy from themselves and buy from each other to, you know build up their community but I, I, I must admit I don't know whether it's an, an English thing or if it's you know it's a racial thing or whatever but people tend to go, oh, why would I give him money or her money? Like, I could go to this more trusted person. It's like, we're doing the exact same thing. We've got the exact same qualifications. You know, if not, I'm going to give you more because I know you personally. And it, or, or it's, it's the idea of, oh, what, what are you, you going to do with £15,000? The same thing you're going to do with the £15,000 you give to that person. Probably even the price might be less. Or I might get you a better quality stone for that. Or, or do you know what I mean? Or
1: well, what I get is like the dis, like the, uh, the not recognizing the value. So someone come to me like last week, and you know, I, and I'm very, you know, people usually paying for the gemstones, and people usually like jewelers. You know, if you want a diamond, you're probably paying for the diamond. And jewelers, we don't set the um, what do you call it, the the market rate about how much gold is gold is goes up twice a day, up and down twice a day. There's a market for that. Mm. The market sets the demand, and the market sets the demand and the prices for diamonds. So there's a certain rate what diamonds should come through. Mm. And I'll have sometimes some people from Uncommitly be like, Yes, sis, can you just do something for 1,000 pounds? I want this 10 carat, like kind of diamond, but 1,000. I'm like, I don't know how that works. You wouldn't go to HM Samuels and do that. Yeah. Why would you not give me the same kind of courtesy? And you know what i'm I'm usually I'm usually the last person to go to mm. so they think, "Oh if I' just go to sis it will be all right or they've done they've gone they've marketed because usually like people are savvy now people go on the internet and obviously my price is compared to an internet price for an engagement ring It's different to what I have because I'm doing a bespoke service I'm adding extra value you have something custom, and you know what you guarantee you're gonna you're you're gonna get online when people go on engagement sometimes. They say it's the diamond online and then sometimes you find out it's not the diamond when you have it in your hand, you know, so it's, it's different. So, yeah, I, I, I but I'm, I'm really, I don't want to leave here with any st- um, stereotypes. It's not everybody. Mm. I'm just telling you my experiences and since the last couple of years, my life. And- relationship community is developing and i'm getting more engagement rings more wedding rings for my own community so i'm, I'm happy for that and i'm looking to f- more to serve my community i'm very very happy about that
0: so so with bespoke and custom made jewelry being at the the core of what you do where do you get your your creativity from where do you get your designs from how, how do you get these kind of ideas in your head is there kind of like a a core message in your brand or like maybe you know like I don't know, pan Africanism or something like that. Like, what what is it that that sparks your creative place? Are you talking about my ready to wear or talk about my bespoke? Let's go with both. So, talk me through the bespoke each
1: one. is led by the customer. So, what they want, within reason and within budget, they get what they want, and they leave happy. For my ready to wear, meaning like you can buy it on my website, my conceptual shop online. My one of my first collections did well. It was all about space. <laughs> right. So let me tell you something about cultural labor and cultural um, tax, I will. I. I will say. So being a black designer, when people find out I'm black, they're like, "So why you not do do something with your heritage? Yeah. Why don't you do something?" And I'm like, "I can't do coffee beans. Yeah. I can't do put a Jamaican flag on it. I'm not. That's just not me. Mm. I'm don't I." I love Jamaica and I love coffee beans. Yeah. But not every you can't be a cow shell. we got and and you can't be just Africa and an you know I I love it. I love those symbols. But why can't I why am I being pigeonholed to one idea of what African diaspora or what's Jamaican or what that is? Mm. Yeah. Which is African jewelry, inverted commas, right? So when I did space, people like when people didn't know I was black, they're like, oh, it's amazing. But like, oh, Kisang, Why don't you put stuff in your heritage? I'm like, you never, no one goes to an English designer, but like, why don't you put fish and chips in
0: yeah. it?
1: Why do you do um, the English flag? And I I come up with that all the time. And I was like, you know what? I'm a bit of a rebel. I was going to say something, but keep it clean. No, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do what I want. So I I love, I love space. I love the, I love the planet Jupiter and my collection was called Fly Me to Jupiter and that did really, really well. But I moved on to that and I did a Japanese inspired um, collection called Kintsugi. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know the concept of Kintsugi of like, you're breaking up pottery you're breaking up things. And you put it back together Um, with gold. And you put it back together with gold. So I had like some really good rings, signet rings and stuff like that. To, but I appreciate heritage. I appreciate it. I'm not trying to culture vulture. I try to appreciate Japanese heritage. And then my other collection was me and my partner kind of designed. And it was through COVID times. And it called uh, it's called You Love You to the Bone. So when you're a woman of a certain age, people was asking you, Where's your ring? Where's your ring? Why are you not married? Why do you not have kids? And I'm like, why are you in my ovaries? Leave me alone. Yeah. I'll do it on my own time. So everyone's looking at me as a jeweler, I should be married by now and I should have a ring. And I was like, okay, let me play with that idea conceptually. So me and my partner, like we have like some hands, it, like rings made out of hands and bones and skeletons. It's like a conceptual piece. And it's called Love You To The Bone because what matters to me is not other people's timelines. It's about what is valued in the relationship. It's about us and the support we give. If we don't have support and love, there's no point. So Love You To The Bone, not about other people's time. So that was one. But my recent one is funny about this. When I put my heritage in, right? Mm. I put. I think I'm, you can't. Well, you can see it. So this is one. I know your viewers can't see it. This is what you can. This is a light bulb, right? Right. And yeah. on the sides, it has cornrows on it. Says so three braids, cornrows. So cane rolls, cornrows, three plaits put together. On like on the scalp, and this conceptual piece was all about diversity and inclusion. It's like this is the light bulb moment after 2020. Time for change. And tried to have a commitment of just like being inclusive and you know just make just having a light bulb moment and this actually won an award in in the jury oscars awards um for this design so it's award-winning um design and it's really well received in the in in the jury trade so it's weird like I was going away from my heritage and now I've gone a little bit into braids and I was kind of worked But for as a black artist or just as an artist in general, I just want to have the freedom just like any other artist to create what I want without Mm. the stigma uh, stigma of like, you must fit a certain African aesthetic. I love it, it. I don't deny it, but I can't do it every day. Can I just be a person, just a normal person?
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. I feel like I, I, I don't even know if the listeners know this, but I am black. <laughs> I'm not, whether or not that, that puts oh, my sorry, listeners up No, it's fine. So I, I wrote a, a sci fi audio drama. And I think the problem is with that is people go to me, oh, why don't you write about issues that affect the black people? And da 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 da. I was like, I can't write what's natural to me. Like, I, I, I can't, you know, Quentin Tarantino sits down and writes films with the N word in it nonstop. He's not black. Let him do that. For me, what comes natural to me is, you know, what I know and what I care about. And it's interesting that you said you kind of came full circle where you've got the light bulb with the, with the cane row on it. And I feel like that's just something that only you could really think of. And from that, you know, I, I want to ask you this. Has there ever been a time where you've made a design or you've you've made something like the the light bulb with the cane rows that somebody's stolen or somebody's t- tried to rip off? Cause that's quite common in the creative world.
1: That's very common jewelry. If that happened to me, I probably, I'm not going to lie, I probably wouldn't mind about it. But then you just have, I just think in jewelry, you just have got accepted. There's only so much designs of a ring. Like all of us go to the same suppliers. Gold is gold and diamonds are a diamond and gemstone is gemstone. I don't think there's a competitive advantage design wise. I mean, it's about how you market mm. and how, if you've got enough fans or followers, or if you have enough customers. So it's the way how for me, my competitive or, or my USP is about my storytelling in my jewelry. And how aesthetically I communicate my messages um, to my desired audience, um, you know. Because some people will say, "Oh, show me your point of view." Oh, it's not, and I'm like, "This, I've seen this jewelry piece long time ago." And I think because in in England we're not so adventurous with our jewelry and not as blingy. I look at other cultures. I look at Scandinavia. What they're doing? Like, I love Scandinavian jewelry. I wish I could uh, get get some stockists over there stuff like that and yeah I don't know I don't know I if they steal it they steal it I moan, I'll moan a little bit but I'm going to have to be, be quite flattered I'm like if this person's is stealing my design that means I'm
0: doing good I'm glad you have that kind of like mature if not kind of just intellectual high ground on people where you're like if you want to steal it cool whatever I, I understand what the game is and I'm you know going to be more creative than you or I'm just going to keep creating you can't you know you could you could steal something after I've made it but you can't steal it as I'm making it because I'm the one that's making it
1: and also a lot of people still from sorry to bring up the black thing again This is still from black people and black women all the time which are like the trendsetters mm. so I'm not saying I'm being a victim but I'm just like a mountain's a mountain <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know it is it is what it
0: is so and so for you and your brand it's one of those things where this is this is what you do this is what you love have you ever had any offers for somebody to like partner up with you or like places where you've gone to and you've met somebody and they're like oh I love your work I'd love for you to come and and do this this special very niche thing for me you know have you ever had any kind of weird offers like that
1: kind of um I've had it's not finalized no money has been changed but people have come to me like gin gin companies they're like hey mm. you want to make something I've had people approach me to make stuff but no money has changed hands mm. I've done a bit of a cl- collaborations so talking to collaborations with certain established engagement ring companies and um, diamond companies um, something's coming out soon I-, I can't say but something is coming out soon in the next couple of months but yeah yeah, can I just say something as well? So, there's three type of things I do. So, there's like obviously, like there's the jewelry. Yeah. Um, spoke. There is the lovely um, ready to wear, where you can just buy offline mm. and I'll uh, ship it. And then there's this socially engaged practice. What I do.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So I didn't even I don't ever tell you like before I came a jeweler, I used to do a lot of community work. I used to be a domestic violence worker. I used to work volunteering. And this natural thing, even I do on my commercial side, I do have this kind of community vibe. And maybe I'm too millennial or mm. I'm trying to be Gen Gen Z, but I'm not in that A's, A's bracket. I do care about if you're a business or whatever, or who you're a person, like you're like a citizen of the world, right? And it's not always when you do social value stuff, it has to be always money. It's about how you see your time and all that kind of stuff. So I'm working on this ex- exhibition, which is coming out next month funded by UCL, University College of London, looking at relationship of cancer and jewelry. Right. So how it works is like, I teamed up with a, um, a well-known cancer scientist, look at her research, looking at how she identifies cancer cells and looking at the treatment. We, we talked to people who are affected by cancer indirectly or directly, mm. and we got them to design the jewelry. And this is all done through COVID. So it's all done remotely like like this, right? And then we're going to put it in exhibition with your do documentary, do portraits, and just to use jewelry as a, like as a tool, as conversation, and actually to break the social taboos of what cancer is, because one in two people have cancer, so it's very very common commonplace. And also, what's very important is like to reclaim the narratives of their bodies and their health, because usually when people talk about cancer, it's very very clinic- clinical, They're like this is going to happen to you. And some people don't always, they don't always subscribe to this fighter or narrative and pink rub- ribbon and I'm going to walk on this 5k. You know, you know, what is individual? Like the cancer is individual to them and how sometimes some treatments need to be bespoke and tailor made for them. <laughs> so he's using that analogy with jewelry is like, how can you make something bespoke to tell them, to tell their story, which is celebrates a health milestone, which they can cherish for the rest of their lives and, you know, break social taboos. So yeah.
0: I'm glad you said that because I've always thought the exact same thing about struggling with cancer or any type of illness that's got a big backing behind it, whether it's autism or down syndrome or something like that. Why do you have to suddenly become this, this amazing activist for the thing that you're suffering from? Why is there, you know what I mean? Like why has it got to be this blanket general thing of what you're doing with loads of people? Why can't it just be enjoyed person to person and you can educate one other person about what you're going through. And I'm glad that that's what you're doing through your, your social kind of, I don't know if you call it social activism or social wellbeing work? Social engaged practice or um, public art. Public art. Yeah, and
1: jewelry. scene yeah, public art? Because, you know, some people think they public art. They always think a big mural or some painting. I'm just like, oh, why not jewellery? It's something, it's wearable art. It's, a, it's the manifestation, of what we wear, emotion. It's, it's, we wear this emotion, you know, what's attached to it. So why can't we use it? So I really want to develop that social engaging participatory, if I can say the word, um, practice. Yeah. Um, yeah, very excited about that. So this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of the year. And I don't really sound very, you know, like a t- a typical Londoner. Like I also make films, you know, I'm a bit, you know, multi dis- disciplinary. Don't you can't put me into a box, but yeah. jewelry is what people know me for. So mm. I've made a jewelry film, which has been accepted for the London independent. Film festival, which okay. starts next next month, and it's look it's called Gemstones, Gemstones um, Lessons in Unconditional Love, where we look at black women. So I interviewed some black women in South um, South London, um, looking at jewelry as heirlooms and looking at legacy and looking at adornment. And I just wanted just to just have a nice light film looking at black women in a very humane way, talking about jewelry. Because I realised when I made a lot of jewellery for people, some of my white counterparts would be like, oh, I'm going to pass this on to my, to my daughter. Oh, this ring goes to this, this, this. And I never heard that in, in the black community, sometimes passing on stuff. And I'm thinking, what, as black women in womanhood, what do we pass on
0: mm-hmm.
1: in generations? And sometimes the black women narrative is always in Af- looked at African-American, not looking at British because we came here in a different way. <laughs> to Britain so it's just very interesting and I just think what's going on with like schoolgirl Q uh, you you know you heard that right after going to go into it <sighs> it's too too and I don't trigger people but what happened to that it just seems like black women or black girls are just not seen as just human so mm. it's just I just want to be in positive spaces where we can create our own narratives we don't always have to go to like slavery this is bad victimhood I just believe is like create the spaces that you want and try to be positive in them as much as you can and don't wait for nobody to do it for you because you wait for institutions if you wait for the government if you wait for a company to do something you know you're just going to wait and it's going to be slow and it's going to be very bureaucratic um you just got to take the the initiative and i believe in self-efficacy but you have the power to do what you want to do to 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 a certain extent you have the power what you need to do
0: yeah and so with with all these kind of missions and life philosophies that you've embodied in yourself and through your work what is it that brings you the most joy out of all of this
1: i think i've split myself in three different or four different bits the bespoke bit when the woman is happy i'm happy (laughs) when a woman's happy in the family everyone's happy the for my ready ready to wear i just like the yourself this is fab and wear this i love that you you have meaning it's not just another piece of jewelry for the social engage practice what i've done called tailor made that project i'm doing with university college london i just feel it's such a privilege helping people to tell their stories and get them through it like uh, these people i was talking to some of them are children from great almond street who are having all these injections and chemotherapy and feeling sick and and I'm thinking, what do I got things to, to com- com- complain about? This person has got life and death situations, take their time out to tell their stories and to create jewelry. There's the, you see life in, in a different way. So I was just thinking if I could work with like different marginalized people, like refugees, um, different people just who might not always have a voice yeah. and their narratives has been dominated by other things. If that could be told through jewellery as through another medium in an interesting way, I'd love to do that. I would love to do that. So that's what I'm trying to do.
0: Where can the people find you online?
1: Okay. Because so I know you have international listeners, right? <laughs> so um, if it's um, if it's Instagram or whatever, it's KLG Jewellery. So jewellery is the British spelling. <laughs> I always tell people the British spelling. So KLG, if I could spell it, J E W. L-L-E-R-Y I think I did anyway just google it the the British spelling KLG jewellery KLG jewellery.com Instagram stuff like that I do have a podcast called Black Creative Handbook which supports businesses and creatives for black creators creatives because there's certain nuances and just help people to get A to B Um, that's me really just connect with me there and just we can just vibe
0: thank you for listening to People Explained New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.